Good morning. Welcome to the Billy's Church. Our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus, both now and forever. Our vision is broken people coming together to extend and embrace Jesus' love. Okay? Several announcements, so bear with me. You probably got to memorize by now, so just um, if, I, if I may say something wrong, you can correct me later. Pastor Alice continues on his sabbatical. We're glad to have Reverend Michael Jones from Harvest Community Church in Birmingham, the second largest city in Alabama now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, welcome. Look forward to hear, hearing you later. Bring the word to us. Um, from that great city. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you're a guest today, welcome. There's cards out there in the narthex, lobby for you, whatever. Uh, fill out and let us know you're here. We can stay in touch with you. Um, the nursery is open today, by the way, for those that need to use that for their kids four and, four and below at some point. Uh, nursery is open. This is a big day. Um, we're having village kids start this morning, youth start this morning after the worship service, the nursery's open, and tonight, a big deal for our church. Amos Williams will be uh, commissioned or ordained as our assistant pastor. There'll be a service here at 6 p.m. Y'all are invited to be here. I think it's, a, to me, it's a, it's a sign of growth. We've got a point where we've been, we'll have an assistant pastor so it's significant. There'll be elders from other churches here, pastors, part of that service. So plan on being here and invite your friends and neighbors. <laughs> uh, it'd be great to have everybody here and have a good show for Amos and Jessica tonight. Encourage them and bless them as they start this new journey. Um, at the Village Church, we believe the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. You may give a number of ways. You can offering plate in the back. You can uh, email a check to mail an address, or do an uh, online link, okay? Corporate prayers continue on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, that's via Zoom or in person. Thursday night this week, men's ministry will continue with a work, a work party for some inside and outside work here on the grounds. That's from 5.30 to 7. Uh, if you have any questions on that, contact Anson or Davis or Benjamin. And then uh, one other announcement. Enter the Village class starts in a month, August, no, September 26th, a month. That's right. This is August. September 26th, enter the Village class. Some of you have signed up already. If those of you who haven't, I need to or have people, friends you know that have visited that need to go through that class to interest in learning more about the church or are you interested in joining the church? That class is critical for that. So that's there to be signed up for, or you can text um, Cynthia. Um, and then there will be, at some point, next Sunday afternoon or evening, um, the deacons' uh, mercy ministry training for deacons, deacon assistants, anybody that wants to come. Uh, the time has not been set yet, but that will be next Sunday, so put that on your calendar. Watch for an email or text or plot note on that. I think that's our announcements. Thanks for bearing with me on that. 
Uh, again, try and be here tonight at 6. I think that's important to encourage Amos. Um, join with me now in a prayer of preparation before you start our worship service. Good morning, Lord. Thank you that you give us breath, air to breathe, fresh breath this morning. You've woken us up. You've brought us here. Uh, you've brought us here or online either way. We desire to fellowship with your people, to rejoice in who you are and what you're doing and what you've done, and to hear your word, to be encouraged uh, for this coming week, to press on in the great calling you've given us to be your disciples. Uh, we thank you for your grace in our lives. Uh, without that, we would be stumbling along worse than we do anyway. Thank you for your grace, Father, for your mercy. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the fact that you are our creator, God. You are our redeemer. You are the sustainer. That you're working to make all things new, Father, in our lives, in our hearts, in the world around us. Thank you for that. I guide our worship today. Uh, we're not here just to check off a box to, this morning. We're here to worship you, to fellowship with your people, to hear your word, to be encouraged. And I just pray that uh, the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.
to be thankful for this morning. Amen. Amen. And hopefully you're not like me who forgets to just stop and say, thank you, Lord. You've been so good. He is indeed worthy of all of our praise. Our call to worship this morning is taken from the hymn, Immortal Invisible. Please join with me where in notes, congregation. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Great God of all glory, great God of all light, thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, oh, help us to see. Tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. Amen. Oh, Lord, our Lord. 
morning, village. If we're honest with ourselves, when we reflect on our week, our yesterdays, and even our this mornings on our way to church, we have reason to repent before a holy God. So please join with me uh, as we look at our confession of sin passage found in 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Please join me in a, sol- a moment of solid meditation. But as covenant people, we know that we are not without hope. And so now we turn our attention to our passage that reminds us of our assurance of pardon found in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. And thank you, Jesus.
One of the, the uh, awesome privileges that we have as believers is uh, we are invited by our God to come before him and to ask him for things. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I take that for granted or take it lightly or, or lose sight of just how phenomenal that is. I mean, if we got a text message right now from someone who is nationally prominent that we admire or even internationally prominent and said, hey, what can I do for you? Wow, that's amazing. And yet that's what the God of the universe allows us as his children to do. So let's take a moment. I just invite you silently, whatever's weighing heavy on you, the challenges you're facing, uh, where you need his intervention, you know, just uh, in silent prayer, and then I'll close for us in a minute or so. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the privilege uh, that you afford us as, as your children, that you invite us not only to come before your throne, but to boldly come before your throne. And Father, I don't have to reflect very long to know that there is nothing in me, save Christ, save your spirit, that allows me to have anything in boldness before you. But, Father, I thank you that as you look upon me, as you look upon your children gathered here, uh, you see Christ. And it's on that basis that we get to come before you. So, Father, um, some heavy, heavy needs. I think of Richard Goodson's mother who uh, just this few days ago received the diagnosis and prognosis of pancreatic cancer. Um, that that's a dire diagnosis. And yet, Father, you are not daunted uh, by how serious or how dire things are. Father, so we pray that you might even extend her days and uh, heal her. Uh, but if not, Father, that you would redeem that tough, tough situation for your glory and for that family, but that you would just wrap your arms around Richard and that whole family comfort them as only you can father we continue to pray for david rigsby as he recovers from those blood clots that you give him full and complete healing going forward we pray for others in our congregation who are struggling with sicknesses with physical limitations Uh, father pray for healing pray for strength pray for encouragement pray that you would sustain them father those that are struggling with family issues, relationships, um, some that are broken, that need your touch. We pray that you do that. And Father, we pray for unity, especially for our fellowship here. Father, I just am reminded of Christ's words as the night before he faced the cross. He prayed for unity, and not just a superficial unity. He prayed for that that, that those that you entrusted to him, those who would believe because of them, 
would have the same unity as you have with your son, a Trinitarian unity. Father, we pray that for our fellowship here. And through what you're doing here and other churches in our community, that that would just ripple through our community and bring about unity at a city level, at a state level, at a national level, not because of efforts that we've contrived or planned for, but, Father, because of the work of your Spirit. And, Father, we just pray now that as we enter into a time of the reading, the hearing, and the proclamation of your word, uh, Father, we invite you to do a work in our hearts. Uh, Father, you admonish us not to to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, Father, we are incapable of doing that. We need your spirit. We need the power of your spirit. And we need the power of your word. As you talk about in Isaiah 55, that as the the rain comes down and it waters the earth and it brings forth life, you say, so shall my word be. So, Father, we ask you, we beg you, that you might do that in our hearts and our minds today based on what we hear. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. The reading. Uh, this morning is uh, found in Matthew 22, and we'll be reading the uh, the entire chapter. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went on their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them. And killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to the slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together. All they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in his wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without your wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servant, servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he had said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth, 
and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. On that day, some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all married had married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. May God richly bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. Bless you, church. Good morning. We can do better than that. Good morning. 
This is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good and his mercy endures forever. My name is Pastor Mike Jones and I bring you greetings from Harvest Community Church in Birmingham, Alabama, where we are a community of worshipers committed to Christ, commissioned to serve, and called to pray without ceasing. This is not my first time at the Village Church, uh, but it has been a long time since I've been here, and uh, I'm very thankful and grateful for the opportunity to come and preach. I'd like to do something a little bit unorthodox because I have a word for you from the Scriptures, but the Lord gave me a word uh, as we were praising and worshiping God and as we were praying and the Scripture was read. So if I could get the church session to stand, and deacons, elders and deacons, I got a word for you. I've just been so blessed by uh, the worship service to this point. The Lord told me to tell you that uh, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you shall reap if you faint not. And then he went on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, uh, brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. You know, in this day and time, we need folks to give us a word of encouragement. Amen. Uh, We're living in interesting times. Uh, As I was driving up from Birmingham, uh, I got a text message, and don't be angry with me. Yeah, I did look at my text message on the road, but one of our dear members is in uh, ICU with um, a lung infection. And uh, I called her husband to see whether or not it was COVID. It ended up not being COVID. But, um, but uh, we're just interesting times where you hear stories like that over and over again. Amen? So my task this morning is to preach on Matthew chapter 22. Now, when I got that assignment, I looked at the passage, I read the passage over and over again, and I was a bit perplexed. You know, the Gospel of Matthew is a very Jewish gospel. Uh, It is a gospel written by a Jew to the Jews about a Jew. It is the gospel that has more Old Testament references than any of the other gospels. It is a gospel that starts off with a genealogy so that the Jews who read it could see that Jesus was a son of David. The Gospel of Matthew can be neatly divided into five sections, which are really five sermons that Jesus gives. Chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 10, where he sends out the twelve to do uh, uh, ministry. Chapter 13, where he gives parables of the kingdom. Chapter 18, where he talks about Christian living and what kingdom living is all about. And then chapters 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse. Where, where he talks about end times and he talks about the ministry to the poor and separating the sheep and the goats. Well, here we are in chapter 22, and I thought to myself, the, the, the chapter starts off with a wedding feast. And then it moves on from about verse 15 to the end of the chapter where four questions are, are, are given. Well, I had to go back to my Bible study basics where when you're studying a passage, you observe the passage, then you interpret the the passage, and then you apply the passage. So upon observation, I looked at verses 1 through about verse 14, where it gives the story of the wedding feast, and it doesn't fit. 
I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Bible is inspired by God, both verbal and plenary, both every single word and its entirety, but the chapter divisions are not. And so this, this parable of the wedding feast actually goes better in chapter 21 than it does in 22. And in chapter 21, where he gives the parable of the wedding feast, it's, it's about the kingdom where the king invites all of these guests to the wedding feast and they don't come. So they invite people on the highways and byways and they decide to come. And the, 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 uh, 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 the person in charge sees that there's someone who is not dressed in wedding garb. And he says, uh, listen, you're not dressed in wedding garb. So they throw him out of the wedding. And then it ends up in verse 14 by saying, many are called, but few are chosen. And you get the idea of people being clothed in Jesus' righteousness who were invited to this wedding feast at the last days. But I share that to say it fits better in chapter 21 than it does in chapter 22. So for the rest of my message, I'm going to talk about four questions. I'm going to talk about four questions in the text. Now, as I observe the text, you have to look at what goes before it and what comes after it. What goes before it in chapter 21 is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which starts the last week of Jesus' life. Well, Jesus is our Lamb of God. Jesus is, is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. Matthew depicts him as the king. And so with this Old Testament reference to Passover... The families who would take these animals would have to make sure that these animals were without spot and without blemish. They were to be examined before they were sacrificed. Well, men and women, I would submit to you that these four questions, well, three out of the four questions are Jesus' examination before his last Passover on earth where he is being examined, he's being questioned by the Pharisees, he's being questioned by the Sadducees, he's being questioned by a lawyer. And then he gives the ultimate question. And before I lose you, let me say, say this, and I don't want to stutter. It is important for us to be able as Christians to answer questions. Many of us... Uh, Uh, love Jesus, we get into his word, we come to church every single week. But if someone, family member, friend, co-worker, asks us a practical question about something very important to them, we hesitate because we don't know the answer. Let me give you a tidbit. Study to show yourself approved. Take Take, take uh, issues, concerns out in the world, study them, and be able to give a concise, very, very clear biblical answer to anyone who would ask you. You don't have to answer every question, but you do, know, do have to have personal convictions of your own. And so many of these, these three questions are not given in, in really good, with really good motives, But what Jesus does is he answers them clearly, concisely, and biblically. He does not shy away. He does not say, I don't know. He does not say, well, that's irrelevant. He gives an answer such that the people can't even respond. There's no more more debate with regard to this. So I would submit to you that verses 1 through 14 don't fit in the chapter 
They fit better in chapter 21, but we're going to look at the four questions that remain. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. All right, amen, you're with me. So a few days before the last Passover, Jesus is examined. And the first question is a political question. Put that down if you're taking notes. It's a political question, verses 15 through 22. And the essence of the question is, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard no person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, men and women... This particular question starts off with them trying to flatter Jesus, which is very uh, 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 inconsistent with them. And uh, Jesus knows their wickedness in their hearts. But the question is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They think they have Jesus because if Jesus says yes, already yes, they would accuse him of having greater allegiance to Caesar than to God. If they say no, they could accuse him of trying to overthrow the Roman government. And so this question is a political question, and Jesus answers it and says, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render unto God that which is God's. But before he does that, he says, Show me a coin, which is really interesting because uh, they ask him, What allegiance do you have? But all of them had a coin. And they show Jesus the coin, and he says, well, whose inscription is on the coin? And they say, well, Caesar's. And that prompts Jesus to say, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God's. Men and women, let me say that there are a couple of implications to this passage. Number one, we need to be involved in political things. We encourage people at our church, based on this particular verse, that it's important that you vote. Our Caesar is living in a democratic republic, and in a democratic republic, you're required to be involved, and in being involved, you vote. However, we do exclaim to people and exhort people not to become hyper-political, not to look at the political process or a political party with so much zeal and so much fervor and so much passion that it looks like you have a greater allegiance to your political party than you do to the Lord Jesus Christ. And men and women, that's a real issue. And when it comes up in our homes or it comes up in our, uh, around our dinner tables, we need to say, you render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and you render unto God that which is God's. Not by chance that Jesus would say whose inscription is on it. The inscription of Caesar was on a coin. The inscription of God is on our souls. And men and women, we've got to have a greater allegiance. We've got to know that that whatever belongs to Caesar is limited. This entire world belongs to God. The earth and all those who dwell therein. Clear, concise, biblical answer. To a political question, but, but we fall trapped. We, we get entrapped with having these long political discussions and arguments which amount to nothing. Jesus shut them down. 
You render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Listen, our political parties have no eternal value. We fight, we argue, we break relationships, and four years things change. I'm in my sixth decade. I've seen a number of presidents come and a number of presidents go. And guess what? The sun came up the next morning after election day. Amen or oh me. The second question is found in verses 23 through 33. And the Sadducees ask this question, who don't believe in the resurrection. But you look at the passage and they give a hypothetical situation to Jesus. What if a woman marries a man and that man dies and she doesn't have children? The law of Moses says that his brother can take her as a wife and they didn't have children. And some crazy hypothetical thing like she's had seven brothers. Listen, we, we, we need to, parenthetically, we need to not get into hypothetical questions. Whenever a person starts off a question with if, it's not in reality. So we shouldn't give it the energy and effort and the, 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 the mental uh, um, uh, energy that, uh, that we give those things. It's a hypothetical question. But she goes on to say, well, in the resurrection, now they don't believe in the resurrection, but in heaven, whose wife is she going to be out of the seven brothers? Well, the first question was a political question. This is an eternal question. Now, they're not asking it with good motives, but it's a question about heaven. And, and Jesus gives a clear, concise, and biblical answer to this question about whose wife is she going to be. And he says to them, you hadn't read the scriptures, you don't know what you're talking about. There is no marriage in heaven. She's not going to be given to any one of them. We're going to be like the angels. And you say, well, pastor, what is the specific of this? Well, I'm going to give you the general. There are people that are asking eternal questions in our families, our friends, our co-workers all the time. We need to be able to tell them what heaven is like. We need to be able to tell them that, that, that uh, you're, you're going to uh, uh, have life in heaven. No, that life is not going to be a re- restoration of the same kind of life we have now on earth. But, but, but it is life. And no, you're not going to be singing 24-7. There's going to be work in heaven. You're going to, evidently, there's a banquet, so we'll eat in heaven. We'll have relationship in heaven. We will recognize people in heaven. There, there, there will be uh, no more sorrow in heaven, no more sickness in heaven. There will, but in many cases, we talk to people about heaven, and we don't know the specifics. So we need to get into the Word of God. We need to be able to say, yes, we are going to be in the very presence of God. You'll see your loved ones again. I've had at least three very, very close family members die in the last 18 months. My brother died a year year and a half ago, suddenly of a heart attack. We grew up together. We're only about 15 months apart. And I'll never forget the phone call I got from my nephew where he couldn't get the words out of his mouth. All he could say is, he's gone. All he could say is, he's gone. The only thing that kept me together was the hope of salvation and the hope of knowing that there is a life beyond this life. 
We've got to be able to tell people about that life. It can't just be trite sayings. It has to be a reality that we have because people are asking eternal questions that we have to have the answer to. Political questions, eternal questions. But look down at your Bibles in verses 34 through 40. The scribes ask this question. The scribes come to him, a lawyer, says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37. Jesus, I'm sorry, verse 36. In verse 37, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened unto it. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. The first question was a political question. The second question was an eternal question. The third question is a theological question. Dare I say there are are people in our families, our friends, co-workers, the uh, people in our spheres of influence who want to know, what is God most concerned about? How can I live right before God? If, if you had to pick the greatest commandment, what would be the greatest commandment be? Is it, is it uh, put no other gods before me? Is it don't take the name of the Lord in vain? Is it to uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Is it to not make for yourself any idols? Is it to, 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 uh, uh, to respect and obey our, our parents? Is it not to kill or not to commit adultery or not to steal? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments by saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments, all of the prophets and the law hang on these two because he's summarizing the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments, and then he's giving the last six, that you love God with the first four and you love your neighbor with the last six. Clear, concise, and biblical answers. Clear, concise, and biblical response to a question that people are asking. Whenever someone starts asking you about why you go to church, someone starts asking you about why why you have your faith, someone starts asking you about the intricate details of why you trust God and what is most important to God, we need to be able to give clear, concise, biblical answers. To people's questions. First question was a political question. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a political response, a biblical response to a political question, to political questions, plural? And I'm not talking about uh, trying to defend your party. I'm talking about being able to stand between parties because God doesn't ride on an elephant or a donkey. He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And we've got to get a given an answer that requires equal sacrifice. You let go of both sides. And then eternal questions where we, we, we say, this is why I have hope in eternal life. Not in death, whose wife is she going to be, but in life. In life, there's not going to be any marriage in the next life that we live. And then lastly, the theological question. God is concerned about you loving him and loving people. Amen or oh me. 
So he has, there's three questions. The first question was given by the Pharisees. The second question was given by the Sadducees. The third question was given by the scribes. But the fourth question has three parts and is given by Jesus. Amen or oh me. Here's what he says. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Then David, uh, if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. There are actually three questions in one. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Then how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? And then verse 45, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And I could just imagine the scribes and the Pharisees saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The first question was a political question. The second question was an eternal question. The third question was a theological question. But the fourth question is a spiritual question. It's a spiritual question. And the reason why I say it's a spiritual question is because of verse 45. Jesus says, if David then calls him Lord, I'm sorry, verse 43. uh, How then does David in the spirit call him Lord? You see, all of these other questions were given with a legal and Old Testament legal background. This this question here that Jesus gives requires spiritual eyes. It has nothing to do with the law. It has nothing to do with the requirements of the Old Testament. It is a spiritual law because David, in the spirit, in Psalm 110, verse 1, the spirit gives him this insight that the Lord says to his Lord. There is this, this spiritual insight that is required of us. And Jesus is asking us the same question. What do you say of the Christ? Who do you say that the Christ is? Whose son is the Christ? Yes, he is the son of David in the lineage, but he's so much more. Because David calls him Lord. And the question that we've got to to give to those out in the world is, who do you say Jesus is? What do you say about Jesus? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? What is your opinion of him? Three questions where the lamb is examined. And after he passes his examination... He says, well, I've got a test for you. What do you say about the Christ? Jesus does not give them a definitive answer. He just gives them facts about the situation. And he says, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, think about this. They didn't know what else to ask him. But if they knew the scriptures, they would know that David looked at Jesus as his Lord. In the Psalms, David says, the Lord is my rock 
and my fortress and my deliverer. David says, the Lord is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? He says that the Lord is my all and my all. He's my everything. He's the one that I look to. And if we don't have that kind of answer for the world, we have nothing to give them. Nothing at all. Nothing at all to share. Nothing at all to, 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 to argue and discuss. If we're not talking about Jesus, uh, as my English teacher was shivering her boots, we ain't talking about nothing. Nothing at all. And men and women, it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. I'll close with this. Who do you say the Christ is? Is he your Lord? Is he your Messiah? Is he the anointed one? Is he the Christ, the son of the living God? I made my choice long time ago. The only regret I have is that I wish I'd have done it sooner. And men and women, that's what the world needs today. The world is looking for guidance. The Lord is my shepherd. The world is, is, is capped and, and, and caught in darkness. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The, Lord is, the, the, the world is held captive. The Lord is my deliverer. The, 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 the world needs something steady to hold on to. The Lord is my rock. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you don't know anything else, just remember, therefore, God has highly exalted him. And given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of those in heaven. Those in heaven are angels. Those on earth, those on earth are men. Those under the earth, those are demons. So God has given Jesus authority in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That every knee should bow. Every knee should bow. They might not be bowing right now. But there's going to be a time where every knee should bow and every tongue is going to confess they may not be confessing jesus as lord right now but they are going to confess that jesus is lord to the glory of god the father in jesus name we say amen let's pray father god we do thank you so much for this time that we've had to share together we pray that you would solidify the word of God in our hearts right now. Lord, give us the answers. Give us the answers. Clear, concise, and biblical answers to relevant questions. Father, and help those questions lead us, just like with Jesus, to the ultimate question. Who do you say the Christ is? We say emphatically, 
His name is Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Thought somebody else was doing it. Let's stand. I was going to give it over to the session, but they didn't want it. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you so much for this time of worship. I thank you for everyone that is here. Father, bless this church. Keep your hand on this church. Help this church to be uh, your light in a dark world. Help them make a difference in this community. Help them love one another and love their neighbors. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless with exceeding great joy, to the one great and wise God, our Heavenly Father, be glory, dominion, and power, henceforth, now, and forevermore. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Oh, bless you, bless you. Thank you for being in my amen corner. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Amen. You all right? Good to see you.